Welcome to our Terra Bible Church Wednesday evening service. Glad you are with us and glad some are here as well. And we are, uh, uh, this is a sad day, sort of, because this will be the last pre-study for Genesis, because on this coming Lord's Day, we will finish the book of Genesis. I really wrestled with maybe I could stretch it out for three or four more, more weeks, but we're going to finish on Genesis And so that's where we are this evening. Heavenly Father, we are uh, grateful always to be your children, to be in your presence, to open your word. What a blessed privilege it is. And Father, how I pray that even as we open this text, we thank you for the, the wonderful time we've had in the book of Genesis together. What a rich book. And so, Father, help this to uh, give us a, a delight in your word, an understanding of your word. And, and Father, we uh, just ask that you would help us tonight to dig into your word, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to start with review. And remember where we were last time. Uh, last time we had uh, kind of the, the end with uh, Jacob uh, giving, blessed his sons. He gathered with them, blessed them. Uh, and then he, remember, he pulled his feet up into his bed, breathed his last, and he was gathered to his people. Now, as he went into the presence of God's people and the Lord, then what they did was to make it possible to keep the promise to go up to Canaan. They uh, went through the Egyptian process of mummification. They um, preserved his body, and then they took him up to uh, Canaan, and there he was buried uh, in the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are buried, where Sarah and Leah are, are buried. And so uh, that's the, and Sarah and Rebecca and Leah are buried. And so that's where we left off last time. Our text is chapter, Genesis chapter 15, ver, 50, verses 15 to 26, but starting the first few verses. When Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead. They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. And so they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. So look at that passage in your Bible and here or here in front of you. And, and one of the questions I have is, did Jacob really say that or are they just using his name? So when they send messengers, um, and, and why did they send messengers instead of going directly themselves? So they sent to Joseph and saying, before he died, our father asked us to say to you, um, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive their trespasses. So what do you think? Did Jacob tell them that or are they making that up? Don't know. No, no, record, no record of it, that's true. How would we think about that? I'll be honest with you, commentators differ, so I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. So I've actually got the advantage tonight of having people here 
beyond our, our technical crew. So we're going to do this the November 4th way. We're going to raise hands. Actually, if you would mail in your ballot, I'll know next April what we think. So here's the question. How many think Jacob did tell the brothers to give that message to Joseph? If if you think Jacob did say that, raise your hand. Okay. How many think Jacob did not say that and the brothers are using his name? Okay, I see a few hands. Okay, and for the rest of you, can I just, everybody raise your hands just so I know they're working tonight. All right, all right, we know they're working. Good, okay. It's, it's like I said, it's not an absolute right answer, and, and I'm, going to, um, I'm going to bring out a couple things that, that trouble me if Jacob said this. Why didn't Jacob say it to Joseph? Jacob had a wonderful relationship with Joseph, a very open relationship. Do you have some answers? Um, Carl said the brothers lied. The brothers lied. Excellent. Thank you. So um, my first thought is why didn't Jacob have that conversation with Joseph beforehand? Why was it afterwards? I mean, if you think about it, if, if he was concerned about this, wouldn't it have been a good thing to just gather the family together? Maybe one of his times when the family gathered for blessings and said, now, let me just put it all out there. Joseph, I'm really going to ask you to forgive these. He didn't. And so that's, that's strange to me. And notice it's motivated. What does it say? Perhaps Joseph will hate us, may repay us. And so they sent messengers. Instead of saying, well, now, you know, Dad told us to do something. Let's do it. So this seems to me like something they cooked up. Pardon me? Pull that thing off while you're talking. <laughs> that if, if jo- yeah, did, did Joseph ever tell Jacob? So yeah, and by the way, notice they're, they're saying Jacob knew about it. Did, we, did he know for sure? That's a good question. Did Jacob even know about this? I always felt like, you know, where, where did that come up? And I've suggested maybe they talked about it on the ride down to Egypt the first time. You have some- Said it is that rascal Judah that yeah, made up the lie. <laughs> Judah t- came up with this idea. <laughs> Poor Judah. George may have to do some talking in heaven whenever he gets there. <laughs> but, so the, the the way they the, the way, how they decided to make the comment, the fact that Joseph didn't Jacob didn't make the comment before. I'm suspecting this is an act of desperation. They're they're going to try and say, Dad said. And you love your dad. Dad said, don't hold this against us. Well, it says that uh, Joseph wept. Why did he weep when they say that, said that? What brought the tears to his eyes? What, what made him weep? While you're thinking about that or texting, let me mention, I said last time that the first time we see Joseph weeping was when his father died. I just realized that was a mistake, or uh, not just just now, but in studying for this, I thought about, wait a minute, when was the first time Joseph wept? Yeah, remember, and and, uh, he was just, he was, he he, he just, he teared up, you know, he was being rough with them, but his heart was sensitive, his heart was sensitive when his father died, 
What's his heart about what's causing him to cry now? That his brothers have made this remark from Jacob. Maybe he really loved his brothers and had already forgiven them and, and also maybe reminded them of the loss of his father. Okay, a couple good things right there. One, you mentioned dad and that gets him tearful. But then also as he thinks, are you still troubled about that? Okay, so his father has died. They've come back. His father lived in the land 17 years. So what that's saying is after 17 years... You've watched me and my behavior. How have you not figured out that that's already behind us? That's, that's kind of my take on it. Any, any other reactions? Carl says he wept possibly because he sees that his brothers aren't trusting him. Yeah, oh, yeah, good. That is troubling, isn't it, when you feel like, are you not, you know, where's the trust here? Good. So we say, by the way, that he is a man of of godliness. He's a man of faith. He's a man of organization. He's a man of emotion. Mom says he already, he had already done so much to express to the brothers that he had forgiven them. She just said that because she heard me say it earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Uh, Yeah, so he's there. That's a disappointment to him. Good. Um, By the way, the, the other thing that strikes me, assuming I am right, that Jacob didn't say this, that they're making it up. Isn't that troubling? Um, That there's this family tradition. Instead of being honest and straightforward, let's talk about it. We've got a problem. It's, you know, deception. And so just as Jacob deceived his father by pretending to be someone else, now his sons are pretending to speak for Jacob. And, and, of course, there was the whole Leah Rach. So here's that family problem going on again. I don't know if maybe that might have been bothering him. Good. Now, verses 18 through 19. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. So remember, first he sent messengers. First they sent messengers. And then they fall before him. They said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? So they came before him, uh, falling down. And you can, this picture was one of the earlier pictures, but it just suggests, you know, if he had a grudge, maybe he held back because of Jacob, is what they're afraid of. Remember, Esau said, as soon as Isaac is dead, Jacob is dead. And so they're probably thinking, now that Jacob is gone, he's going to lash out at us with his fury. And if anyone could, he's the, he has the power. And so they're, they're scared. And he, On the last point, Susan added um, that they, he can't trust the brothers. And he can't, and, and yeah, he can't trust the brothers. You know, they're still, they're still this, especially if they're deceiving about Jacob. Come on, guys, let's be honest with one another. Okay. So, notice he says to them, am I in the place of God? Let's look back at that passage. His brothers went, fell down before, were said, were your servants. In other words, it's like what they did when they first visited, we'll be your slaves for life. Um, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? What does he mean? Why does he say Uh, Why does he ask them if he is in the place of God? 
What, what is he getting at? God has authority over life and death. So am I, yeah, right. Would, would it be right for me to, um, to kill you? By the way, this phrase is used uh, one other time that I'm aware of in Genesis. I'm going to be a little guarded to probably 15 other times. I think it's only one other time. In Genesis 30, verse 2, remember when Rachel was angry at, and, and she said to him, give me children or I die. And he's like, his response was, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the first of the, the fruit of the womb? And it was, I'm not God. Only God can, can give life. Only God should have the authority to take life. And I'm wondering, too, if he isn't thinking of the basic bi- biblical principle that's stated later. Do you have something? Yes. Carl adds he's saying it's God who judges and punishes. Yeah. It's God. God's the judge. I'm not. And so the passages that are, should be familiar to us, in Romans twelve nineteen, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And that's really quoting Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. All that's written after the time of Joseph, but the biblical premise, God is the God of justice. God's the one who gets revenge. Susan adds, God used the whole situation to put Joseph in authority. Yeah, and oh, and God put, yeah, and, jo- and so he's, notice how God um, focused throughout this whole episode in Joseph's life. That's been his distinctive, isn't it? His eyes are on the Lord. His eyes were on the Lord in the midst of all these struggles, and, and now that, that's what's keeping him from bitterness and revenge. Well, let me ask you, what does this teach us about forgiveness? So forgiveness is really what's going on, has been going on. What, do we, what, what can you tell me? What lessons about forgiveness come to mind from this passage? It opens up connections between people. For, forgiveness builds bridges. It opens connections between people. Good. Are forgiving have trouble understanding what it is. I'm still not hearing it. <laughs> Those that aren't forgiving have trouble understanding someone who is. That the brothers didn't get it. Could it be that one of their problems is <laughs> they expect Joseph to think like they're thinking? They wouldn't forgive. They'd be looking for revenge. Remember, like in the situation with Dinah, brutal re- uh, vengeance. Um, so you're right. Maybe that's, that's part of their problem. Any other thoughts? I've got a couple to suggestions that you can add to this. First of all, forgiveness is choosing not to hold a matter against the other person. It's choosing to forget in terms of relationship. Now, I, I mentioned that because we might say, but I can't forget. It's a relational forgetting. Okay. And that concept is really helpful. We see it, and somehow I get it more easily on the divine side, but on the human side, it's the same principle. A couple, few passages that come to mind. In Hebrews 8.12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and this is God speaking, and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now remember, God is omniscient. What does that mean? Omniscient. All-knowing. 
So he cannot forget or he's no longer God. But he says, I will forget. So what he means is, I know it in my knowledge, but it'll no longer be a part of our relationship. That's what it means to forget. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Psalm 103.12. Isaiah 43.25, the Lord says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So we see that um, that concept of not remembering is vital to choosing to put it out of my mind. And, and so sometimes we have to remind ourselves to forget. I can't remember now which uh, Christian of the past, when someone came to him and, and, and commented on someone who had uh, spoken ill of him. And, and his reply to that was, you know, they're trying to, have you ever had that where someone's trying to stir things up? And this person's response was, I distinctly remember forgetting that. I chose to set that aside. Okay. We have a question. <gasps> question. Um, Susan asked, did the boys ever tell Jacob what they had done? Yeah, did the boys ever, did, did Jacob ever know? Uh, we have to assume. Yeah, Mark? Back when Jacob was blessing all the boys, I just think about this excuse me, afterwards. <clears throat> when he gets to Joseph, he says in verse 23 that the archers have shot at him and all those things, yeah. which could indicate he knew something. Yeah, you remember Joseph. You've been attacked by the archers. I mean, you've been struck by the archers. And so maybe that's his gentle way of saying, son, I know you've been through a hard time. I wonder... When he mentioned the archers, did he look at his other sons? I don't, but so, yeah, so I, I, you know, to me too, he might be saying, what's the deal? Why was Joseph in Egypt and why did he treat you that way? If he, if he, why did, you know, so that might have been, well, dad, there's a reason. And we need to tell you what's going on. So I think that may have, I, I just, but we're not directly told that. Good question. Here's another point of forgiveness. We can forgive because we leave it to the Lord to make things right. You know, and so that's what he's doing. He's just trusting God's in control. And so he, he leaves it with the Lord. And then a New Testament principle especially, we can forgive because we're forgiven. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So back to Genesis, verse 20. But as for you, Joseph says to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. By the way, what is that? How does that, does that, do you see anything there that strikes you as far as forgiveness? and dealing with uh, someone else's offense. I think this, this is a verse I think is helpful too. He definitely sees God's providence using the whole thing. One of the things that strikes me is, um, have you ever, maybe someone's apologized for something and you say, oh, it was nothing? 
or 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 someone, you've heard someone say that oh it's nothing and, well really it was something and what he's saying is well yeah actually what you did was evil <laughs> you know what you said was hurtful and wicked uh, so he doesn't take away from the reality that what they did was wrong hurtful evil uh, I, so I think it's interesting he can call it that but David mentions something what what doctrine does this verse teach us? It's an important doctrine in Scripture. God's in control. God's in control. And we call that, David can hold off because he's already said it. What, what's the word for that? Providence. Providence. When we think of God's control, sovereignty, but how he, he orders, um, again, he, he orders events and, and situations through controlling natural means. In other words, he doesn't, it's not a walking on water. It's uh, moving someone. And, and he never puts an evil thought when he says, you meant it for evil. Um, he's not saying that God put the evil seed of thought in there. Rather, they were having evil thoughts and God um, released that evil to effectiveness. Um, so that's the doctrine we call that is providence, providence. And uh, you can see the word there is he sees to it beforehand. You see the word video in videnz, and P-R-O means before. He sees before. And not just that he sees, he sees to it in his seeing. He makes it happen. A couple of definitions on, that are helpful. Uh, we've uh, used the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and that might have given us the clue that there must be a larger catechism. And verse 18 of that says, what are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. God controls everything. And if he doesn't control everything, he doesn't really control anything. You know the old poem, for want of a nail, the shoe was lost for want of a shoe, the horse was lost for want of a horse, the battle was lost for loss of a battle, the kingdom was lost, all because of one horseshoe nail. Um, I, I think about the terrible uh, dev devastating accident we had that we lost a number of astronauts because an O-ring uh, uh, was affected by the cold temperature. One, one little part of a, of a big, expensive ship. Right now we're dealing with a pandemic. You know, a virus is a very small thing. And, but that little virus can make a havoc, or maybe it's a cell that's a malignant cell. So it's just one thing can um, be a devastating. So God, if he doesn't control everything, he controls nothing. I'm also going to quote, because I thought it was a helpful explanation. Have you ever looked at gotquestions.org? Gotquestions.org. They do a good job of answering all kinds of questions. And here's when they ask the question, what is divine providence? Uh, here's how they answer it. Divine providence is the governance of God by which he with wisdom and love cares for and directs all things in the universe. The doctrine of divine providence asserts that God is in complete control 
of all things. He is sovereign over the universe as a whole. The physical world, the affairs of nations, human destiny, human successes and failures, and the protection of his people. This doctrine stands in direct opposition to the idea that the universe is governed by chance or fate. You know, fate means it's kind of, we're just locked into the system. It has no mind or personality. Providence is a loving, wise, good father is running the show. So, how did this truth help Joseph? Now, those are some, you know, lots of big words, and we can talk about it, and people could write long essays and books about providence, but the real question is, how did this help Joseph in his difficult time? Is your texter wearing out? No. How did this truth help Joseph? Because he saw all the good that came from it. Sometimes we have a hard time finding it, thinking, what is the good in something? But he had the benefit of, first of all, the prophecies beforehand, but also the, the 2020 hindsight. He saw how it all played out. Had they not been wicked and evil toward him, he wouldn't have been in Egypt. And, and the Egyptians would have perished, and the Canaanites would have perished, and Israel would have perished. And so he is so grateful his brothers betrayed him, that he was sold into slavery, that he was unjustly thrown into prison because God used each of those steps to bring him to where he could be so useful. That Mark adds, he saw his brothers under God's control. Okay. And, and yeah, they're, yeah, and so that helps. Even though they meant it for evil, God was using their evil. Let me... Good. And Susan said God used the whole situation to put Joseph in authority. Yeah. So that makes it easier to forgive for he said, you couldn't have done it if God hadn't been orchestrating things for good. Can you think of another example in history that maybe is more uh, kind of stands out as God using an evil intent to accomplish a good purpose? If you need any help, you might look at the center of the back wall back there and get a clue. Yeah, the cross. You know, like in in the book of Acts, they even said, you know, you accomplished God's divine purpose when you crucified. So uh, the cross itself. So some people wrestle with, wait a minute, is God, how can God use wicked intentions for good? One, he's not the author of evil. He doesn't put the evil in the heart. But he can keep it from manifesting itself. Or he can withdraw restraints depending on what his purposes are. And so he allowed the wicked Jewish and Roman leaders to accomplish their wicked purpose so, he could, so Christ could go to the cross. And all the time, Jesus is saying, God, you're in control of this. You're the one handing me the cup to drink. And so that's providence. It's hard for us in one sense to get a grasp on. But it's comforting that nothing comes into our life without first having passed through the hand and heart of our good and mighty Father. And so that gave him the, the ability to let go of any bitterness, to see God had a good purpose. 
<clears throat> Anything else? Okay. So he said to them, Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I, w- I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, does that concept there remind you of a Bible verse when he says, um, he, Don't be afraid. I will take care of you. Reminds me of one, I guess I should say. Last point, Susan agreed with you on the death on the cross. And then Carl adds, Joseph knew God is sovereign over all, and he submitted to God's will, even as one in authority himself, i.e. second in command of Egypt. He knew all about authority. And uh, what was nice to know, God's a better ruler and leader and had a perfect heart. Boy, if we could grasp that good God's in control. That's, that's what kept... Joseph straight. So when he says, I'll take care of you, uh, after all their wickedness, he says, don't worry, I'll, I will not only not kill you, but I'm going to provide for you. Remind you of anything? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out a couple ideas. It reminds me of the verses that say, you know, instead of a curse, give a blessing. Romans twelve fourteen: bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, Matthew uh, 5, 44, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And frankly, I could go on. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 12 to 13 and others. We labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. And so Paul was able to say, My, his eyes are on the Lord. And so because of that, when we're treated, mistreated, reviled, abused, persecuted, our eyes are on the Lord and we can return with blessing. And leave the Lord to take care of the other. Good reminder. You know, we're in a time where there's a lot of conflict right now, a lot of, uh, a lot of anger, and, and hatred, and how good it would be if we remember our good God's in control. We don't need to revile back. So I imagine after all this, there was some, maybe some tears and hugs again. Um, don't worry. Don't be afraid. You're forgiven. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your kids. That hasn't changed. Okay. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. How old was he when he stood before Pharaoh? Do you remember that? 30. How old was he when he... Probably about how old was he when he was sold into slavery? 17, maybe. Could have been 18. Um, And so, think about that. He's been almost 100 years away from home. He lived 110 years. How old did his father live? Here's some more questions. 147. So not quite as long as uh, his father. Moses goes to 120 Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. 
the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. The children of Machir are the son of Manasseh. So who are Ephraim and Manasseh to Joseph? His sons. So what's the saying that, that he, what's, he lived 110, and then what's this other stuff about? He got to see his ch- children, great-grandchildren, grandchildren and great-grandchildren, yeah. And so he's reminded of the blessing of grandchildren. That's a good thing to remember. <laughs> that is a good thing, isn't it, to see grandchildren? Is that a good thing to see grandchildren? Do you like seeing grandchildren? It's a, it's a blessing. And so um, that's the point here. He was a, a, he, he was a wealthy man in that sense. It might have looked like this. You see uh, the old man with his kids and pretty miserable looking mutts, but you know, the family hanging out. I don't know what this picture represents, actually, but it look, could be. Or it might have looked like this. This is a, you know, kind of a, uh, this is what it looked like in Israel back in the late 1800s. Little family meal. Might have looked like this. Well, could have looked something like this, I suppose. Several people are chiming in. All right. Grandchildren are a blessing. All right. Anyone want to argue against that point? No. <laughs> okay, so we're getting. Go ahead and give me some names. Who, who, who's, who's agreeing that grandchildren are a blessing? Carl and Susan. All right. So, and, you know, here's the, you know, the picture of the president. You see, he's got a big smile on him. He's got the grandkids there. So, so all that to say, why is that important in our story of Joseph? Get ready. He lived a long, prosperous life. He had a long, prosperous life. And look, as we're, notice how... Um, you know, sometimes you, you, you need to finish the story. I remember uh, in a preaching class one time, someone started a, 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 told a half a story as part of their illustration. And the professor kind of got on him, do not leave us hanging. How do, you know, because he finished his sermon and never told what happened. He just got halfway through the story and, and, and left it. And so uh, Moses is finishing the story for us. What happened? Um, he was, he was a, a young man who went off into slavery. Well, he got a wife. He got children. He got grandchildren. He got to enjoy his grandchildren at his old age. He enjoyed his father and his father's old age. He was restored to his brothers. Okay, so it's all coming out nicely. And then verses 24 to 26. Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying. But God will surely take care of you. God will visit you. What strikes you about that? Who's he talking about, himself or them? Yeah, even as he's dying, he's, he's not even talking about, oh, uh, pray for me. But he's, I'm, I'm dying, but God's going to take care of you. You know, his, that other-centeredness. Pardon me? Yeah, not like his father. Everything's against me. Yeah. See, this is our challenge. When our eyes are on the Lord, we're not thinking about ourselves. We have the freedom to think of others. Susan said God used the whole episode to preserve the nation of Israel. 
Oh, and that's the huge thing, isn't it? Think about how God worked in all those details, the timing of all the events of the brothers selling them into slavery, bought by Potiphar, sent to prison, in all, and, and, the, and, the, and the feast and famine of 14 years of control of weather and, and agriculture. God used all that to bring Egypt, Israel to Egypt and take care of them. God thinks in big pictures. And just like his dad, he remembers, as he's dying, he's remembering God's promise to the nation. And as he's dying, he's thinking of the promises of God. What an example for us. I'm dying, but God will surely visit you. And that means uh, he will intervene on your behalf. He'll take care of you. He will bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's claiming the promises of God. That's like quoting scripture. And so uh, as we go through difficult times, as we approach the end of life, clinging to the promises of God, Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Mom says, it seems seems that he is following his father's lead and giving Ephraim the preference, even though he was the second born. Yeah, he, he totally surrendered to Ephraim being... The, the chosen, the, the, the more honored line. You know, just yielding to that. So afterwards, he takes an oath from his brothers, and there's the, you know, or, and his family. You know, of course, he was one of the youngest, and so it's the, it may have been his uh, nephews. But he's talking to the, 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 the next generation of leadership and saying, when I die, so keep the word. This is an oath that has to last 400 years. When I die... Don't bury me in Egypt. Preserve me and take me home. Take me to the land of promise. And so, once again, there was the embalming process, the preserving of the body. Okay, now I don't know if you can see this picture well enough. But does it look familiar to you? Have you seen this picture? Probably not. You have, but you might not remember. The scene, as I was working on this passage, it just re- I was reminded of this. Um, I think it might be back here. This is a scene I clipped out of a YouTube video. Uh, someone put up a clip. This from, comes from the Ten Commandments. It's the time of the Exodus. The Passover's over. And there was a scene where all of a sudden you heard this kind of a rhythmic uh, you know, ch- uh, song going on. And someone said, whoa, what's that? And so back here is they're carrying uh, the, the Joseph's mummy on their shoulders. So in other words, the promise kept. You know, so it's interesting that uh, Cecil B. DeMille really, apparently all through the time of filming the movie, he, he could be seen in the cafeteria reading his Bible in between uh, breaks, you know, as he was you know, really trying to be as biblical. Now, obviously, I won't get into that. He had a lot to the character. But anyway, this is a good picture and a good reminder. 400 years later, they did exactly what they were t- promised to do. Now, think about that. How many people were, that were present when Joseph made them take that oath? 
How many were present when they left Egypt? Zero. Zero. Zip. Nada. Um, and so that tells us something. They passed down a legacy of commitment that, that was so vital when it came time for the exodus, they kept it. So they took him up. They buried him in the land, not in the cave of Machpelah, but in the land uh, near, in the area of Samaria, near, near there. And so this is where his tomb is. There's the tomb. Comment? Um, from Susan. The oath was from Israel, not Jacob, making it a national oath because his brothers would be dead when they left Egypt. Yeah. A national oath. And they kept it. You know, and so that reminds us of the importance of holding, knowing our traditions and our commitments as a nation and holding to them. 400 years later, they could easily have said, so what? They kept the promise. And I, that just that's, says something about what's important. Good. Any other comments? Questions? Goodbye, Genesis. So uh, that's a challenge for me. You know, you spend so much time in these books, and it's it's like, how can we stop studying it? But um, hopefully, you know, we have we've notice we've still got things we're wrestling with. How do we do this? What do we do with that? So uh, maybe as you in your own personal Bible reading come back to Genesis, some of these things we'll be remembering. You'll dig deeper. I hope you're blessed by that. And this Lord's Day, we will complete the book and study of Genesis. Father, thank you for um, this great book of Genesis. Thank you for revealing in your inerrant word to uh, us to read. And Father, thank you for um, the faithfulness we see as well as the unfaithfulness. And Lord, thank you for the reminder that you are sovereign over every atom of history and so lord we, we with that give us help us father to follow joseph by keeping our eyes on you and we pray it in jesus name amen